I've had a couple of visits with Habakkuk in recent months. The first time we looked at it, we overviewed the whole uh, book, all three chapters. And what we saw was there was a, a complaint from Habakkuk. And then there is this, what we're going to look at today, the first response from the Lord. Then there's another um, speech from Habakkuk. And then there is a second response from the Lord. And then the third chapter is a psalm of praise from Habakkuk. Then last time we looked very much at the opening words, the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. And we focused on the burden that Habakkuk felt. And we saw that that was, as we looked at the first four verses really, the burden was for the Lord himself and his name being downtrodden and his laws being broken and destroyed and Habakkuk's burden for the people but he had to also as it will follow on a burden which was what the prophets did have a burden to preach the gospel to preach the message that God had given to him so that was what would follow is Habakkuk's uh, telling to the people that would be his burden to them but his burden initially was to uh, God for the way his laws uh, were being broken and the way that the Lord was being um, ignored and uh, discarded. Then his petitions, why don't you answer my prayers? Why, even when I cry unto you? So then from verse 5 to the end of verse 11, we have the first response from God. God responded to Habakkuk, and we're going to look at that today. And we're going to look at three things from verse 5. It's quite funny because they all begin with the letter W, so there's three points. So I was kind of, I can't, I can't get my head past thinking about the early days of when the internet came out and all of these television programs were saying you can go to our website and it's www such and such so we have a www today we will firstly wonder at what god will do secondly we see the work that god will do and then thirdly we will or the lord will answer the question of when will these things be so we can see those three points in verse 5. And verse 5 is exactly the verse that Paul quoted in uh, Acts to remind the people, don't be like the people in Habakkuk's day and ignore this warning. So we have three W's then. The first one is to wonder. Behold ye among the heathen and regard and wonder marvellously. Note the instruction. The first instruction is there to wonder but then note what follows behold ye among the heathen and regard and wonder marvelously so we have a repetition there we have an instruction to wonder but not wonder on its own to wonder marvelously so you put the two together it's a wonder upon wonders if you want to sort of another example of, 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 of a similar principle um, in um, 
I forgot which, which Ecclesiastes. It opens up with vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. Now, vanity is bad enough, but vanity of, of vanities can also be translated as the utter futility of anything that isn't related to God. It's utterly futile. So can you imagine what we have here? We have an instruction to wonder marvelously, to wonder upon wonders. So that should tell us, hold on, pay attention, what's coming next? We need to wonder about this. But also note what precedes this instruction. The first word of verse 5, behold. And we focus on this word quite a lot, don't we? Because it reminds us to look and to hold, hold our gaze, to focus our attentions. But keep looking. Behold ye among the heathen and regard. Now, the translation of this regard, not only does it mean to look, but it's more of an intellectual looking, to look with your mind as well as your eyes, to meditate, to concentrate, to think. So here we have two sets of repetition in quick succession, to look and look again, to wonder and to wonder again. But we can really pull the four together and just say there are four exhortations to focus everything on God and what follows. It really, it's kind of like, you can imagine somebody just sweeping away all of the clutter that is before them and saying, nothing is before me now except my tunnel vision towards this. And that is a good example, isn't it? It's vitally important. So we should be prepared to do the same Do we do that though, do we? Did anybody come here today having swept aside everything else except this next hallowed hour? Does anybody among us ever do that when we sit down to our personal and private devotions at home? Do we sweep aside everything? Do we prepare the way and sit and give our undivided attention to the Lord? Because if we are coming to read his word, this is exactly the same principle as Isaiah has here. Isaiah is not reading God's word. He is hearing God's word audibly with a view to writing it down. But we should be hearing God's word audibly as we, you know, internally audibly, as we are reading it with our eyes. Master, speak. My servant heareth. May that be a true prayer. May we ask the Lord to speak as we read his word. It's a great challenge, isn't it? That's one that we would all fall far short on, but it's certainly something that we can aim for, to strive for. Wonder upon wonders, behold and regard what I have done and what I will do. But as I was thinking about this, The greatest wonder of all, I thought, was the fact that God has deigned to speak to Habakkuk, has deigned to speak to this people, deigns to speak to us even today. Why was Habakkuk complaining? Because the people had gone so far from God's law, had turned so far from God, there was violence in the land, there was injustice in the systems 
But look at Habakkuk, he's griping and complaining. Why aren't you answering my prayers? But the Lord, in his wonder, wonder at this, that I'm even speaking with you today. What a privilege, what a blessing that is. So we benefit from their their failings because this is the message that was given to them. And is it not true for today also? Is not our world as bad? Are we not so far from God as a nation? And do we not struggle in our own personal lives, in our personal devotions, to be more like Christ? The people would wonder. This is a, this was a, pay attention, be ready. What comes next is important. And they would wonder. They would be in awe and wonder when they read and heard if indeed they believed. But they should already have been in a state of wonder. They should already have been focusing their thoughts on their God because they have seen so much God created. So there is the very wonders of creation before them. Does that not instill awe and wonder should do we're truly blessed here aren't we we can see the glory and wonders of creation all around us without having to go too far they as a nation were blessed through the deliverance from Egypt the captivity in Egypt they were blessed as they journeyed into their promised land, how the Lord preserved and protected them as a nation and who gave them victories in battles over their enemies. They were blessed. They should have been in awe and wonder through the workings of the prophets and the judges and all that they had seen and the the great miracles and wonders that they would have heard and told and passed on from generation to generation and how the Lord had continually blessed them. There should have been awe and wonder. Is this our starting point? Do we start, before we criticise these people, do we start with an attitude of awe? And wonder, do we have this same wonder and awe for God that we should have? Do we appreciate him as our great saviour? Do we appreciate him as our great creator? Do we appreciate him as the one who saves uh, this world and preserves this world and keeps it going? Do we appreciate him as the great judge who will in due course judge this earth? A hymn that we use quite often, I like to use quite often, O Lord my God, when I, in awesome wonder, consider all the works thy hand has made. And then the chorus goes, doesn't it? Then sings my soul, my Saviour God to thee, how great thou art. When do we sing how great thou art? When does our soul sing that? After we have considered, O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the works thy hand has made. I see the stars, I hear the mighty thunder. It's when we consider who God is, 
Then our attitude turns to praise. Then sings my soul. That's a great phrase, isn't it? That our soul should be singing from within. How great thou art. There's a challenge for us to take away, isn't it? To sing from our souls how great thou art. And we can only sing that if we truly believe it and have been thinking about it and have been considering how great thou art. Wonder. The first thing we see is wonder. The Lord tells Habakkuk to wonder. May we also have a sense of wonder as we consider not only who he is and what he has done, but what he will do. The second point that we will come to in verse 5 is work. Behold ye among the heathen and regard and wonder marvellously, for I will work a work in your days which ye will not believe, though it be told you. I'll work a work. You won't believe it if it's told you, so you will see it. You will see it. Verse 5, we read the words there. I will work a work. I will work a work. Just so that we're clear, it's not anything that the Chaldeans, the Babylonians will do. I will work a work. Verse 6, for lo, I raise up the Chaldeans. That bitter and hasty nation. The Lord responds to Habakkuk and says, you're complaining about the violence and injustice that is being inflicted on God's people in your land. I will work a work. I will raise up the Chaldeans. <laughs> what was Habakkuk wanting here? We don't know exactly what Habakkuk was wanting, but what Habakkuk was getting was the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. I'll raise up the Babylonians and they'll invade and take over the land. I will make the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, the most powerful empire in the world. If you can turn with me, you'll enjoy perhaps reading some of these uh, verses from Daniel, um, chapter 4. So we're at the point here where this is in the future, where the captivity has happened and Babylon is in control of that area and has its empire spread. And Nebuchadnezzar is the king of the empire. And chapter 4 of Daniel, verse 30, the king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honour of my majesty. Verse 5 told us there, didn't it, before in chapter 1, the Lord says, I will work a work. Verse 6 tells us, I will raise up the Chaldeans. Nebuchadnezzar, is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honour of my glory? Isn't this what I've built for my power and my glory? Look at me. Read on. While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from you. And they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, 
and seven times shall pass over thee until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar and he was driven from men and did eat grass as oxen and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hairs were grown like the eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven and mine understanding returned unto me and I blessed the Most High and I praised and honoured him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? See the turnaround there. We don't know how long a period it was of seven times. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for my power and for my glory? And then he says in verse 34, And I praised and honour him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among uh, the inhabitants of the earth. And none, none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? None can say unto God, What are you doing? Here is the Lord. I will work a work. I'll raise up the Chaldeans, the most powerful nation. Doesn't matter what they think they're doing. I have raised them up and I'll take them when I want them out of the way. But let's have a look at this nation. Let us have a look at what the Lord says of this nation that he has raised up. Verse 6, I will raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation. It's not the best of starts, is it? That they're described as a bitter and a hasty nation. And they will march right through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They'll take it all. This is what's going to happen. Wonder. Behold, wonder. This is what's going to happen. They are also described as terrible and dreadful. Another repetition of sorts there to emphasise just how nasty and unpleasant this was going to be. They are bitter and hasty, terrible and dreadful. They will march through the land. Their judgments are from themselves. They will be judging you and dealing with you by their own standards. And they are terrible and dreadful and their justice and their judgments will be equally terrible and dreadful. And then we have some some symbolic descriptions about their horses and their armies there. But we can draw from this that it is an impressive army. And here's an interesting phrase, isn't it? They shall come all for violence. Don't be under any illusions. They won't be pleasant. They will sweep through and they are a violent people. They will scoff at kings. You ready for this? You wanted judgment? You wanted these people dealt with? I'll deal with them. I'll deal with them in my way. I'm fairly sure Habakkuk was not expecting this. 
But we don't know, do we? We don't know why. We don't know God's ways. And as, as Les mentioned this morning, even in reference to our own local situation with the government elections coming up uh, in a few weeks' time, the Lord is able to use evil governments to fulfill his ends. So we see with Babylon, they would come in and they would reign for a period of time and then the remnant would be allowed to return. Behold and wonder indeed at what I will do. I was just reminded as I was thinking about these of the phrase, the title of God, the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts, we read in in Psalm 46, is with us. The Lord of hosts is clearly in charge of the hosts of Babylon, the hosts of Assyria, the hosts of the Medes and the Persians, and he will dictate their movements as well as the Lord of hosts being in charge and in control of the heavenly bodies, the whole of the earth, and his chosen people. The Lord of hosts is in control. Behold and wonder indeed. But then, as we alluded to, when we looked at the two verses of, um, or the two examples in Daniel there from Nebuchadnezzar, he got ideas way above his own station. Verse 11 is very interesting. Then shall his mind change and he shall pass over and offend, imputing this, his power, unto his God. Nebuchadnezzar did that. And then Belshazzar, who followed, did likewise. And it's just helpful if I'll just read a few verses from chapter 5 of Daniel when we have Belshazzar. The writing on the wall was explained to him by Daniel. And this is the writing, verse 25 of chapter 5. And this is the writing, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Eupharsin. This is the interpretation of the thing, Mene. God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Is not this great Babylon that I have built? Your kingdom is divided, and it will be taken from you. Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet, and put a chain of gold about his neck, and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. In that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. And Darius the Mede took the kingdom, being about three score and two years old. In that night was Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, slain. They get ideas above their stations. Is not this great Babylon that I have built? Look what I have done. Look at this empire that I have built. Look at my army that I have assembled. I'm in charge of all of this. I am so powerful. Then they turn and express their uh, appreciation to their pagan gods. But the one true God is in control. He humbled Nebuchadnezzar and he destroyed Belshazzar. He destroyed the Babylonian Empire. And a remnant returned. And there is comfort even in that for, um, for, for those who read this. Whatever oppression we may face, whatever difficulties may come and whatever restrictions are placed upon us, 
God is in control and he protects his people. The remnant did return um, in, in due course to that land. I will work a work. And it really, it, it would be wrong to sort of say that this is the work that the Lord has done and finish it there because that is not the finish of the work. I'm just going to jump back um, to Jeremiah chapter 23. Well, we have this great verse where we learn of the Lord, our righteousness. But then verses 7 and 8 carry on. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that they shall no more say, the Lord liveth which brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But the Lord liveth which brought up and which led the seed of the house of Israel out of the north country and from all countries whither I have driven them and they shall dwell in their own land. So we can continue to wonder. We can continue to wonder at the work that the Lord has done. Not only have I brought you out of Egypt, but you won't know me as the God that brought you out of Egypt. I will be the God who brought you out of Egypt and from the Babylonian captivity, the north country as it's referred to there. So continue to look to me. There would have been contemporaries, Habakkuk and um, um, Jeremiah. So Habakkuk may have been aware of Jeremiah or he may have been aware of, of his prophecies at least. But we can be encouraged that the work of the Lord did not end with the captivity. It ended with the deliverance from the captivity. Wonder at the work that I will perform. So then the question that is asked or answered rather, when will these things be? Verse 5 again, behold in, behold ye among the heathen and regard and wonder marvellously. For I will work a work in your days which ye will not believe though it be told you. Three short answers to the question of when will these things be. In your days. It will be in this time frame. It will be in your time frame when these things happen. Now there's some debate as to um, exactly when this prophecy was written, but it's generally held to have been about 605, 606 B.C., which then would put the Babylonian sort of captivity starting about 20 years later. So Habakkuk has been given, not that he knew, about 20 years. This will come to pass. And there is grace in that, isn't there? 20 years for the people to repent. 20 years for them to turn from their idolatry and turn back to God. It reminds us of Noah, doesn't it? And the ark. And the length of time that he built the ark and the time that God gave for the people to repent. The, diff, the, the thing there in common is that they did not know how long it would take for the ark to be built. These people did not know how long they had before this punishment came. People today do not know how long it is before the Lord returns. Be ready. We don't know. So be ready. The second answer to the question is, when will these things be? I always like it when you get a, a, a time frame like that in in your days. When we touched on Daniel there, very briefly as we read through, the time period for Nebuchadnezzar was seven times 
we, they're, not, they're not measured exactly. What that tells us is it's in God's time. Not my time. I don't know the time frame. In God's time. When will these things be? In your days, in God's time. He has already planned and set these events. He has already planned the first coming of the Messiah, the second coming of the Messiah. But we have not the knowledge of these things. So we must be prepared to treat every day as the last day in God's time. The third answer to this question of when will these things be is already now. These things are happening. The fulfillment was roughly 20 years from this prophecy. But verse 6, I raise up the Chaldeans. Already I'm building the Chaldean army. Already the Chaldeans are getting ready. Already the Chaldeans are invading other nations round about. Already the Chaldeans are starting to come for you. I raise up. It's the same in our day, isn't it? Plans are in place. We don't know the time frame for when these things will be. God is working his purposes out as year succeeds to year. They will be accomplished. But they will be accomplished in his time. They are happening now. The fulfillment will be in due time. Plan of salvation. We look back, don't we, and see Christ on the cross. But from our vantage point, looking back, we can see that that was not the start. His birth was not the start. From the very beginning of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, plan of salvation had begun. Genesis chapter 3, we see the reference really, don't we? The first sort of messianic reference in the Old Testament. Isaiah 53 is purely about Jesus Christ. We touched on Jeremiah 23 there, the Lord our righteousness. He is through the Old Testament. We could have picked Psalms. We could have picked other areas of prophecy. We could have picked other areas from the poetry. The Messiah came in the fullness of time. And we mentioned it this morning, but we finish, we will say it again. And he died on the cross and said those words, it is finished. But the plan of salvation. It's hard to measure in time because it was before time and it will go to the end of time. It is finished. It is complete. It cannot be changed. But the Lord will come again. When? When will he come again? And we've answered this several times already tonight, haven't we? We just do not know. We can look at the, and I'm sure you all do this as well, you look at the news, you see what's going on around the world and you think, this must be it now. This must be the end times. All the signs are in place. But then really, they have been in place for the best part of 2,000 years. The Lord is ready to come at his time when he is sent. When he sends his son to judge the world. We don't know. But we do know this, don't we? He is coming again and we must be ready. Be ready for when the Lord returns. When will he come? In his, in his time, in your days to Habakkuk, it will be in God's time. 
and it is already happening now. We, we looked before, didn't we, at Paul quoting from uh, Habakkuk in uh, his sermon when he was preaching that Jesus is the Christ. The Jews would not again, again, they went away and were not interested. And the Gentiles said, tell us more of this. Tell us more. Behold, ye despisers and wonder and perish. That's an interesting twist, isn't it? Perish if you don't pay attention. For I work a work in your days, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. He was quoting Habakkuk. Habakkuk was told to preach that the Babylonians were coming. Paul here is saying, use that same principle. Work, I have worked a work and this is the fulfillment of that work. This is Jesus Christ. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the one who was sent from God. Don't ignore this. This is where we must behold and regard and wonder marvellously because Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. And as Paul says, and we must all say, of whom I am chief. Do not let us be found in unbelief. We don't know if it's 20 years hence or five years hence or 200 years hence. We do not know, but we must be ready. A remnant return from Babylon. And you remember as they were taken away and they, they, the, the, in the psalm we read, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. They had chance. There was a chance for them to weep, to repent. When the Lord comes again, there won't be a chance to weep and to repent. It will be finished and it will be complete and it will be done. So the command is to believe now on the Lord Jesus Christ and ask for forgiveness from your sins because he alone can take away your sins and he alone can save us from our sins. So we must trust in Jesus Christ alone. We must lean upon him and ask for his forgiveness. As with Habakkuk, he was leaning upon the Lord, looking to the Lord for um, guidance forward. He got an answer, not what he was expecting, I'm fairly sure. But the Lord answered and the Lord said, I'm in control. And we must remember that the Lord is in control and he has given his way of salvation. Believe on Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Amen.